And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. So as your business does grow, you're going to be tasked with building secure and engaged teams within your organization. What does that even mean? We're going to talk all about it on today's show. Regarding today's show, it's sponsored by Gusto. If you're a startup, this is for you. I want to tell you all about Gusto. Gusto has built has built an easier and more affordable way to manage payroll benefits and more. They help over 300,000 businesses take the pain out of tasks like automated payroll tax filing, direct deposits, health insurance, 401k, onboarding tools, you name it. Gusto makes it easy to do all the things that you probably don't want to do anyway, and you want to keep it rolling. And they really care about the small business owners they work with. You can try a three-month free subscription now. Just sign up at gusto.com forward slash startup hustle. There's a link for that in the show notes. Once again, gusto.com forward slash startup hustle. With me today, I have Darren Gallup. And Darren is the CEO and co-founder of Carbide. That's a cybersecurity company. You can learn more about them at carbidesecure.com. Also a link for that in show notes. Why don't you scroll on down and give that a click for a little bit of cons- little bit of context. Straight out of the Northland of Cape Britain, Nova Scotia, Canada, Darren, welcome to Startup Hustle, man. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to, to be on the show. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested. Uh, I, I always like trying to keep myself up to speed on on, on a lot of this stuff and, you know, having hundreds of employees myself, I built some teams. And I want to see what you and I can come up with before we get into any of that. Why don't we start with a little bit more about your backstory? Sounds good. So yeah, I've, I've maybe a little bit of an alternative background for uh, a cybersecurity person. I think if, uh, if my current self would go back in time to meet myself 30 years ago and tell me I'd be running a cybersecurity company, probably wouldn't believe that. Um, so, you know, right after university, I kind of decided that music was my passion. I grew up in a very musical and very artsy household. My mom ran a dance school. So she was an entrepreneur running a a dance school in the region, ballet, jazz, tap. And so I was always around theater and music and all these things and and grew up playing instruments. And, but, you know, I always believed that like, you know, you got to go out in the world and get a real job. And so was going down that route of, you know, business degree, maybe I'd do something like become an accountant or a finance person or something like that. And uh, did an exchange program to, to Hungary with Canada World Youth and came back with a whole different twist on the my thinking of the world and decided I was going to quit all that uh, journey and uh, start a, a career as a professional musician. And so went down that rabbit hole, started a band, you know, played around local, made a couple of records. Uh, and then, of course, you know, that that we broke up and then got I landed in another band and traveled there and ended up doing session work for for a couple of years and touring all over the place. And then near, near about eight years into that, I, I started really thinking about the business of music more because I was already getting involved in that with the groups I was working with and started doing more, wanting to get off the road a little bit, doing a bit more studio work. So got into 
to, to running a studio, started up my own, my own, uh, my own recording studio, which turned into a record label. And we were, the one interesting thing is I was really, the, the, the recording brought me into, to uh, computers because at that point it was kind of really right around when Pro Tools and the move from analog tape type recording devices over to multi-track uh, digital audio workstations. So that kind of brought me down, really understanding that medium, getting really deep into that. And when we started our record label, we, we were using 37 Signals Basecamp at the time, uh, which was, you know, before SaaS was kind of like, you know, software eating the world or, or SaaS being like that predominant way, like having a, a cloud-based based business was a pretty odd thing back there. And we were doing a lot of cutting edge in the record label. So got me just really interested in software. And then in, in 2007, 2008, the economy took a pretty hard turn. The music industry was always already getting its butt kicked with Napster and other sorts of transitions. And I was really struggling with the record label. We were spending money. We weren't really making that much money. A lot of things that we thought were going to be financially uh, successful weren't as financially successful. And I started up my first software company and built a software company in 2008, launched a product in 2011 that was a, a festival management platform. So we started managing all the backend logistics of major music festivals. So we're working with events like Coachella and Burning Man and Bonnaroo and even some sports events like X Games and comedy th- events like Just for Laughs. And what happened there is we, as we started growing that product, we were really collecting large amounts of highly confidential data. Festivals were being targeted with data breaches or you know, f- the rise of cybercrime and all that good stuff. And, and we just were forced into being very secure and security and privacy conscious. So we were working with, with what are like commercially owned events or, or like enterprise owned events like Live Nation properties, AEG Live properties, Disney properties. And they were hammering us with pretty heavy cybersecurity and data privacy audits. So we ended up doing SOC 2 and ISO 27001. We ended up building a, a, a GDPR program right before I sold that company in 2018. So the last three and a half, four years of that company, the biggest problems and challenges we were having were around data privacy and compliance and, and really, really upping our security posture. Uh, substantially. And and in, in the process of doing that, I ended up going and doing a CISSP just because it was, you know, it started to become a really fascinating space for me. It was just like looking at the criminal side of it and what was going on there. So, uh, so that's kind of how I got there. And then, you know, I'd already had this idea of really understanding the small to medium sized businesses and certainly technology businesses that were historically not really thinking about security or privacy that much we're going to have to change their mentality around that. I just saw a huge opportunity to build a business and, uh, you know, double down, went into there and, and, and went in full-time 2018 uh, CEO here at Carbide and, and just been, have been dedicated and working with small to medium size, mostly startups, uh, building security and data privacy programs. So a lot of stuff like med tech, fintech, HR tech, anywhere where there's any sort of degree of confidentiality where you're selling to government or regulated spaces or enterprise so yeah, it's like pretty wild uh, ride. I still play music a little bit for fun, but uh, uh, most of my days are consumed in uh, talking about uh, information security and data privacy. Yeah, as I mentioned, I'm a former music industry veteran myself. I got to say, like it, uh, if you don't have a job working for a music company, it can be a tough, give me a tough route to to make some money. It's uh, it seems to be rather feast or famine and. You talk about the evolution and changes in any industry. I use the music example a lot because you mentioned like, you know, disruption with things like Napster and stuff like that. Um, when it, Now, back to the cybersecurity thing, I, I'm kind of interested that that's a very interesting path back to, uh, you know, I don't think that's what I would have uh, guessed. 
mm. per se is, uh, but so with the like music festivals and stuff like that was were they were they having issues with was there actual issues with like breaches in the security and like why would why did it, obviously you never want a breach of, of privacy or data but what is what is even in those things to steal other than like emails and phone numbers yeah so so you know when looking at like security through its its sort of key faculties, right? Confidentiality, integrity, and availability. Right out of the gate, even before there was much concern around data privacy or confidentiality, availability and integrity were highly in demand in the, in the festival space. And I'll give you an example. Like our platform, we would manage all the back end. So all the passes. So let's say like something like Coachella, right? You'd have Everybody would buy their tickets off the ticketing provider. So we wouldn't touch those, say, 80,000, 100,000 people that are coming through the main gates. But aside from the main gates, you have the back gates where are all the staff, all the issued catering, all the artists, all the artist handlers and, and their crew and entourage, the security personnel, all everything, right? So all of that stuff, plus the guests, sponsors, investors. So very highly, uh, you know, all the VIP data, we were processing that. So, you know, when, when, when Beyonce was playing Coachella and had, you know, 200 and some or whatever amount of people she had with her, they were all, all their data was in our platform. We would have, you know, cell numbers. We would know when people are arriving, where they're staying. So stuff that, you know, highly confidential, but even before the event, we would have information around like which bands are playing before they are announcing that. And sometimes those announcements have legal binding componentry. Yeah. In other words, you're not allowed to announce that Beyonce is headlining your festival. That's part of the agreement. And there could be, you know, there could be certain issues there. So we were seeing a lot and, and you probably remember this and I think it still happens today. We're like, Oh, the, the Coachella lineup's been breached in, you know, in, in December when really it's, you know, it's like still months out before when they were, they were, getting ready. So there's, there was stuff like that, that was happening, but the availability side, one, one really great, great example of the, the, you know, the, the intensity around availability. If you have the festival loading in say on the Friday morning and you have, you know, you have like inv- people that have invested like a major corporate sponsors show up to, to enter the festival and the technology's glitching out and their wristband doesn't wow. work. Right. You don't want that. You've got somebody who's wrote a million dollar check and, and they're walking in with their wife and their kids and a couple of their friends that they're trying to impress. And getting rejected at the game. Yeah. Right? It's like your yeah. credit card getting bounced yeah. when you're taking people out for dinner. Right. So, you know, there was a high, a high degree. And, 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 and to your question around what was stuff happening? Well, integrity challenges were constant, right? I mean, all these technologies kind of ran out, like the music festival, we talk about transitions in space. It was all like bricks. It was all like paper and stamps, right? In the the olden days. And it did a real quick transition where tickets were online, RFID wristbands, and all this backend technology happened pretty quickly. And some of it happened too quickly. And, you know, the vendors didn't have the, the plan A, plan B, plan C scenarios. And and in fact, there were some scenarios where festival people where festivals had huge technological uh, failures that actually slowed down the adoption cycle of technology within the space. So the the need as a new vendor to come in as somebody who's had a bad experience with a previous vendor, the need to prove how you're not going to screw up like the last vendor did was pretty high. So that was like the kind of the first wave. And then what we found is is we were starting to see festivals getting hacked, right? Because it's a pretty cool thrill hack, right? You get to go on and brag about how you. You know, you got the the Coachella or the Bonnaroo lineup or, you know, post Beyonce's, uh, you know, personal manager's cell phone. Like there's just all kinds of stuff, right, that was 
that was happening out there. So yeah, the demands got really big. And a lot of those entertainment companies, all their other properties were at risk as well, right? So like AEG owned sports teams and things like that. So they were taking the learnings, not just in their musical properties, but across their whole entertainment sector. And at that time, generating third-party due diligence and risk management teams that would measure all of their suppliers, all of their, and understand their, their digital risks. So as a vendor, you'd be getting, you know, hauled through that process. So it was pretty rigorous. You know, it was, I, I felt like we were, it's like, wait a minute, this is supposed to be like festivals. You think like people smoking yeah. dope and drinking and partying and walking around. And it's like we were being, it was, it felt more like we were selling to a bank, to be honest, by the time it got yeah. to the heightened, its heightened state. So now if we move that over, like that, let's, let's, and, and for those of you listening, I'm going somewhere with this. I'm going somewhere. I did want to know what the, I was, kind of, that was a little, a little bit of curiosity, a little bit of hosting there, a little bit of both. Now, now with that, what, so taking these same protection, privacy, as you mentioned, integrity principles and moving them over to the needs of a startup. Um, I'm assuming those needs are the same. You're trying to not let your company's personal information, your employees' personal information, whether it be everything from payroll to social security numbers to whatever. Now that's what you're helping startups protect. Am I correct? So that is one piece. And I guess from, so from the high level, I would say that, you know, all of these things in the startup land are pretty similar to the, to, to, you know, the concerns that, that a festival might have. There are certain, there's certain elements of uniqueness, right? From one startup to another, and not all startups have the same risks or threats associated with them. So when you're talking about like your internal data, like your purse, your, your employees and whatnot, generally the concern around that grows with the size of your company. So if you're a 300 person company, yeah, you should be pretty concerned about that. And when you're a five person startup or three or four person startup, and you guys are kind of all in it together, together, chances are you're not going to have a, a class action lawsuit because you violated uh, employee privacy. Chances are, right? So your risk exposure, you know, at very early stages is probably lighter. Um, but as you get bigger, that becomes a really big, big thing. So organizations that have 4,000 employees and employees have employee numbers and those employees don't have direct, you know, friendly relationships necessarily with the founders and CEO, there's higher risk factors there. So, so in those cases, yeah, the, the HR data would be highly confidential. What we see more often in earlier stage startups as being the areas of concern come back to the customer data. And so if you're a, a, an earlier stage startup, now, if you're selling to commercial, in other words, let's say you're selling a streaming platform and you have you know, a low amount of revenue per customer, but a lot of customers, you'd have a lot of PII and you'd have all kinds of like, like regulatory requirements. What's PII? Personally identifiable information. So again, ah, thinking okay. about, as you were mentioning, like name, you know, if it was say the streaming platform, as an example, you'd have your name, your email address, you'd have what styles of music, what persons listens to, and so on. You might have an address, might have a credit card number in there, things like that, right? So, um, you know, you'd have, there's regulations and those regulations, if you are a, say you're a global streaming provider, technically speaking, you're going to meet the thresholds of how many per personal information, how many people you have data on, where you're going to trigger compliance requirements in a, a whole span of jurisdictions, right? Europe, Canada, US, even within individual provinces and states, right? So 
that's one regulatory piece. What we find a lot, and actually a lot of our customers are more B2B software companies. And what the problems there are is a lot of the times the earlier stage startup is not necessarily that concerned about the data they're storing, especially if they're earlier, they don't have as much of the data. Uh, they probably feel that they're less of a target because they're less known. But when you go to sell your product to Netflix, Netflix has a process and a procedure and requirements in terms of how it's going to assess the risk yeah. profile of it sharing its data with the vendor. And this goes back to the story I'm telling you, my last company, Mercado, the festival management platform, we weren't actually proactively building a security program because, hey, we get nothing else to do, right? We were like every other startup, sell, 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 retain customers, make sure you don't run out of cash, uh, get the business profitable or the metrics required for your next round of funding. Those were your biggest risks. And that's what we were. Are, and I think that's what most startups are. But when you're selling into a, an area where you're selling into a customer that has a, a better, a more sophisticated vendor management process, and they're going through and looking at risk, then you're being required to meet certain expectations. You're signing documents that's in your contract. You're getting a security or data privacy addendum. You're getting asked security questionnaires uh, with very specific questions around what you're doing, what you're not doing. You're signing those. So you can't stretch the truth and be overly theatrical with your presentation of your security posture. But that's what we end up selling in. I would say that's probably what's created the the, the largest rush in demand for startups buying things like security products and services and audits like SOC 2s and ISOs and whatnot. And as of late, the next one that's starting to happen is now it's becoming increasingly more difficult to get insurance as a technical company, as a digital company. Don't have an office. Everybody's working from home. So if somebody falls down the stairs at work, it's not the same as if they fell down the stairs at the office. So your risk, now all your risk, what's being insured is in the virtual realm, which is generally a cloud application endpoints and, and customer data and your contracts and different regulatory uh, you know, scenarios that you could be uh, found negligible in if you, if you were to have a breach and didn't have the proper posture. So now it's becoming really hard to get any insurance for a business unless you can demonstrate that, that to that, that insurance provider that you have a sophisticated understanding of your threats and that you've put mitigating controls in effect that are of substance to mitigate those uh, particular threats. Uh, Darren, if I, if I may, I would like to simplify everything you just said into about two sentences for startup owners. Don't get to the point where you're ready to make the sale you've always wanted to make and not have this kind of stuff in place. One, you're going to look like a really unsophisticated company. And two, you're not going to meet. These things don't always happen quickly, meaning like making sure you have HIPAA compliance, H-I-P-A-A, which is medical records and data. Like if you're not HIPAA compliant, you're not going to get the contract or make the sale to the organization that requires that SOC 2 audits take a while. They all take a little bit. It's not something you just do start on a Monday and have done by Tuesday morning in many cases, but uh, it's a huge red flag to big companies when startups and smaller companies don't have these kind of protections and controls in place. And it's just kind of makes you look JV and they're going to move on to someone else that already has the stuff in place. I mean, can, can you confirm that? A hundred percent. We see it all yeah. the time. And in fact, it happened in my last company. It was the real trigger point. We lost a major deal in the UK that would have basically increased our MRR by about 12% in one deal. We lost the deal for exactly what you said. We didn't meet the compliance, but the fact that we didn't meet that compliance <laughs> 
to them just made us look like we were an untrustworthy vendor that didn't have the sophistication that met the requirements. So it wasn't when we went and put the programs in place and came back later for the opportunity, we had burnt the bridge. They were not interested yeah. in talking to us. They We had lost their trust as a, as a small vendor, and they went on to solve their, their logistical and technical problems with through other means, and, and there was no coming back to the table. Yeah, no doubt on that. Now, if you want to talk about vendors for a second, uh, I'm a big fan of Gusto, which happens to be the sponsor of today's episode of Startup Hustle. If you want to know what fellow founders have to say about Gusto, they say they now think of payroll as a 30-second job, that the website's friendly and a joy to use, and that Gusto has the best support team you can find. Whenever something comes up, you can reach out literally less than 24 hours later. It's handled, smart technology, and friendly humans is pretty cool. Right now, our listeners get three months free when they go to gusto.com forward slash startup hustle. There's a link for that in the show notes. That's right. Three months of free payroll benefits, admins, and more totally free gusto.com forward slash startup hustle, or just click the link in the show notes. Have you ever used gusto? No, we haven't. Yeah. But uh, I, I find that for the shows that they sponsor, I get about half of the people that I, that I have as guests are, are actually users. They've got a pretty clever thing. Cause like, I don't know, man, you talk about starting a business and you're passionate about the problem that you solve. And then you realize you have a whole lot of other problems, which come with running the actual business. So anything you can yeah. do to streamline that, it's good stuff. Now, now speaking of businesses and compliance, let's, uh, let's play rainy day here because I'm here in Kansas City and it's a rainy day. So it feels appropriate. What happens if you don't have this stuff lined up and you do find yourself on the wrong side of whatever? Yeah. And, and, and again, it's going to, it's going to depend on a whole bunch of factors. And this is usually when we engage with a customer in the context of assessing their needs from a security or privacy perspective, this is one of the first things we would do. We'd establish what are their threats and risks to the business, right? So effectively it would be things like, okay, what data do you have in your database? All right. So what would happen if all that data was to disappear? Like just think about its availability. It's gone. You don't have it. Like it's not your backups also poof, gone. The data is gone. So then you go and you, you're going to have to now tell your customers, uh, yeah, by the way, all that data in your CRM or in your HR software, whatever that tool is that you're talking about, it's gone. You got to you gotta get it back from your records and reinstall. Like, so then the question becomes, well, what's that going to mean for your, for your business? And, the, and some of the threats there is, well, obviously reputation. People are going to be super pissed and they're going to be vocal about it. The bigger you are, the bigger it's, the louder it's going to be. If it's big enough, it'll get picked up by media. So then, you know, now you're swimming upstream uh, pretty hard now because you're going to be get, going against that. If you have, con you probably have contractual availability requirements. Uh, so then, you know, depending on the substance, again, there could be legal attribution. There could be, it could be people suing you. Um, they could have contractual uh, ability to sue you. So, you know, that's an example. And then, you know, we do that same thing. We do that about integrity. So what would happen if all the numbers, what, what if the data was wrong? Well, what is this? Is this a, you know, is this a social, uh, you know, a social app for hanging out with your friends? Or is this a, 
you know, a, a medical device technology, right? Obviously, the numbers being wrong could be could have different attributes. So again, thinking about what the outcomes would be there. And of course, in that confidentiality, we think of a data breach. And I'll talk a little bit more about the data breach because the outcomes of a data breach. So let's say you had a million records in your in your platform. Let's say you brought up HIPAA. So let's say it's a, a US focused med tech or healthcare software company that has a million records because it's used by uh, you know a bunch of major clinics around the US you would you would have so say you have a breach so what happens immediately after the breach is there's requirements around reporting that breach that are legal requirements in in the context of the HIPAA act and then basically depend what they're going to look at there's going to be an investigation conducted and effectively at that point, I always make the analogy, a really simplified analogy. Imagine you get yourself in a car accident. Let's say like nobody's super hurt, but the cars are trash. There's lots of damaged property. Now, if you were driving the speed limit, your car was inspected, you had your papers, you know, you weren't texting and driving, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It legitimately was an accident. There's, it's still going to suck, but you're, you're, you're going to walk out in a different, you're going to look differently at the end of that from a legal perspective than if you had seven beers, smoked a joint and your car wasn't inspected and you were speeding, right? So when you're a company and you get this violation, let's think of that analogy. When you have this violation, if they do the investigation, they find out, well, actually this business had you know, really put a strong program in effect. They did a really great job, do care, due diligence, crossing their, their T's, dotting their I's, all that good stuff, strong security. They're no real violation. They just happen to get taken down by a very clever attack. That's a very different scenario than if they get caught and they don't have policies and procedures. It's not being discussed at the board level. They haven't done an appropriate assessment. They haven't brought in the expertise externally or hired it internally to ensure that they understand the threat landscape. You know, it's they're finding this lack of due care, due diligence, and all of a sudden now you're getting fined. And then after the fine, now we're, there's, the reason you're getting fined is because you're not following the act. You're not compliant. You're being now all of those people that have had their data breached, they can go class action. And there's going to be a lot lawyer because there's lawyers that just sniff around looking for these awesome opportunities to do class action suits and make a bunch of money. So you can take your business down in that case when you're not doing it. So, again, it's the same thing. If you got caught drinking and driving, and smoking dope and speeding and all that, and you got in a car accident, you're probably going to go to jail, especially if somebody was was hurt or injured or, or, or you know, so so that's how I would really look at it. The and, and that's what you need to understand in your business. Like a lot of people think, oh, we have nothing to hide. But think about that perspective, not just from your own business, but look at your customer. Like imagine you're going, like you said it earlier, like you're going to sell that big deal to that customer. So you're going, you have this meeting with Netflix next week and you're going to do some, you know, customer behavior analysis in your, in your, in your AI behavioral platform. Well, how are they going to look at you? You need to understand how they're going to look at your startup and and how that engagement could pose risks to them. Think about confidentiality. In other words, data being breached in the public domain, integrity, data being wrong, availability, it not working, and privacy, the rules and regulations, the laws that they have invested substantially and having privacy counsel ensure that they are compliant because those big companies can be the big targets for these, you know, more public, um, you know, lawsuits from a privacy perspective. I think I participated in a class action with Experian when they yeah. let everyone's everyone's records out. And I think I, I did that because I got a I got a, a email asking me to and I was like, gosh, is this another breach thing? But it wasn't and I think that was worth about eight bucks. So Yeah. But that lawyer yeah. probably made a lot of money. I'm not because- sure if I ever got paid or not. I may have. I'm not yeah. sure. I don't know. <laughs> I know that it's it's been such an interesting uh, road, you know, this, I mean, 
you mentioned if you could go back at the beginning of the show, if you could go back 30 years ago and, and tell your younger self that you would be a cybersecurity person that 30 years ago, that the reply from your younger self would have probably been what the hell is cybersecurity? Yeah. Uh, it didn't exist. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 I think you're right. It's, it, it's funny it, though. It, it's, like, it seems like, it seems like it's just a broken record on and on it when it comes to um, ransomware attacks, uh, data breaches and all that. I mean, it's, it's not going away. Yeah. Uh, so you're going to have to get out there and do something like this. Now, now, Darren, what's, what's been the hardest part about building, uh, building the platform that Carbide Secure uh, uh, runs on? Well, I mean, there's definitely cybersecurity and data privacy in their own have many layers and degrees of complexity. So it's not an easy problem to solve. Sure. I mean, if you were to go in as a consultant and solve the problem for one business, that's one thing. But when you're trying to build a platform and processes and frameworks that have the flexibility, but yet the rigor to really dial in where where the needs are, that is a, a big problem to solve. And then to layer on top of that, the evolving and fast moving complexity of compliance. And when I talk about compliance, I'm talking about the standards and frameworks uh, that are out there. There are many of them. There are new ones popping up all the time. There's new additions coming out. Like I'm talking about ISO standards, things like NIST in the U.S., FedRAMP, CMMC, all these types of, of, of standards and frameworks are moving really quickly. New ones pop up. They get deeper. They get more prescriptive. Um, and then layer privacy in on that and, and, and data privacy, like data privacy regulations are popping up. There's several states in the U.S. that now have fully functional data privacy regulations. There are several that are in various steps in the process of being put into moving through the ju- ju- the, the, the legal process of being adopted. So it just moves so much. And uh, yeah, so it's complicated in that regard. And then now, of course, you know, fast forward to today. And what's going on in AI and, and quantum computing. And, you know, it almost feels like as of late, it seems like technology's back to being really cool again. I feel like there was like an era. It's like the internet came out and it was like, wow. And then it was like the iPhone. And it was like, and it kind of just seemed like we were sort of incrementally just making computers slightly thinner with longer battery life. But, you know, I remember the early days of doing music and a new computer come out and you could put like twice as many plugins or go from a 16 track to 32 track. And that was like, you know, really game changing. And now with AI, we're in that, we're back in game changing mode. And, and so now there's regulations in and around privacy and ethics and all that happening around AI. And, and we're getting sucked into that too. So that's been big. That's been big in terms of finding people that understand security, but also have a creative side. A lot of rigid people in cybersecurity. I don't mean that in any in any offense, but there's a lot of people that are very rigid. I think that's where the well, they should be. They yeah. should be. I mean, yeah, right. yeah. But at the same time, there's also a need to be creative and be mindful of the business and be mindful of the realities of of humans. Um, and when we and when we just go make very rigid controls without being mindful of the business goals and mindful of the culture in a business and and the different perspectives that people have, then you make a bunch of rigid rigid controls that end up being violated because people don't adopt them, right? So, um, you know, there, that would I guess segue to the the next challenge that I feel is really big. The biggest challenge we've had on a go to market and a customer retention perspective 
is a lot of startups don't really take security seriously and they just want to get through the exercise of getting what they need to share to their customer so their customer stops grilling them. So again, it's like becomes a sales enablement. So we talked about you're going to Netflix, you're pitching your product, they're going to come in, they want to make sure that you look like you're sophisticated and they don't have to worry about you. So, you know, you have a fancy report. What we see a lot of times is companies making really great efforts and lifts. They build, they put a security program together, they use our assistance, they use our tools, they go through an audit, they get their SOC too, and then they just immediately fall back to status quo. It's kind of like deciding about two months before the summer that you're just going to start crushing at the gym, drinking kale smoothies, get ripped, and then you just... Day one of the summer, just right back to beer and pizza and laying on your ass. Is that how you do that, by the way? Is that how you get ripped to go into the gym and drinking kale smoothies? Yes, I don't know. Hang on. I'm going to hang on. Let me write that down because I, I mean, I need all the advice I can get, Darren. Yeah, you know, I, okay, what I'm hearing here's the thing is okay, so this sounds so that keeping up with all of this is sounds about as complex as keeping up with like tax code. Like mm. the volumes of it and the levels of change and the amount of it are, it's it, it not a, a single human. And in many cases, even a team of humans don't stand a chance of keeping up with all of that, which is why, well, companies like Carbide exist. And, you know, in some cases, like, I mean, it's the same thing with tax regulation and all that. I mean, that stuff can change and there are volumes upon volumes upon volumes. You got state, you got federal, you got international, you got all this stuff. And, and, you know, I've talked to people about this kind of stuff before, cause like, this is never the favorite part of anybody, of anybody starting a business. It's not. And no. if you, if you don't think you have the ability to keep up with all that, that's why you go find companies like yours. You, know, you it's need, like, that's, that's you it. need a partner. Hard. You need yeah. a partner. And what I, what I mean uh -huh. by that is like, it you also, it's, like there's tools and we sell a tool. We're a, we're a tech enabled service provider or service enabled tech mm -hmm. provider, however you want to look at it. We have companies that just buy the tool and don't go for the, 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 the help. Think about this now. Let's think this, the tool thing. If you had a sales problem in your business, would you just go get Salesforce? No. If you had a really good sales leader that had an administrative or CRM problem, maybe you'd go buy Salesforce or some other equivalent platform. But you don't put a tool in to solve a core business problem. You get expertise that understands how to solve the problem that owns it. And then you make sure that those people are properly tooled. So like if you don't have a person who owns security and is not like passionate about it, that's not keeping up with it, like like it can't be something that, you know, somebody wears four hats and security happens to be one of them. Like no. that's just not going to be sustainable, especially in a more complex business or one that has a more complex security or privacy expectation or requirement. So you need a partner. You need somebody who's going to be able to be that expertise. And to your point, they you need that partner that's going to be they're they're aware of the changes. They're seeing the trends. They're seeing the trends across a portfolio of customers and in in versus just sort of through this the simple lens of a small startup. So yeah, you need you need that at least until the point where you decide to bring in your own, have your own leadership in, in that domain, like looking at it like a department, having like a chief information security officer, VP of security, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, you, you need to have the expertise. It, you can't just plug a tool in and expect that that's going to meet all your requirements. It'll likely help you. Like, don't get me wrong. You like, you go get an antivirus platform, put it on your endpoints. It's better than not doing that, but it's, it's only covering one piece. It's like going and putting a camera on your host to secure your host, but not putting locks on the doors, right? Like 
sure, well, we saw that somebody broke in last night and stole all their stuff, but they still were able to get in. So it's, you know, it's, it's all the, you need all of the components or it becomes the outcome of the weakest link. I feel like so much of this stuff for a lot of businesses seems to be like, oh shit, it happened. Now what? Mm. No. And that's, I, I just want to point out to folks, that's what you want to try to avoid. You don't want want to try to avoid. Now, you know, you mentioned good partners. I'll go ahead and get this out of the way as we're running, you know, we're running out of time. Today's episode of Startup Hustle has been sponsored by Gusto. If you're looking for an all-in-one HR platform, it's time to check out Gusto. You have everything you need in just a few clicks of the button. You even get three free months when you go to gusto.com forward slash Startup Hustle. There's a link for that in the show notes. Once again, Gusto, G-U-S-T-O.com forward slash startup hustle, go switch to Gusto so your small company can offer big time benefits without an HR department. Um, you know, that's that similar to yours. These are tools that, that can help springboard. Okay. So if you don't have like a, you're talking, we mentioned earlier, the five person company. Well, first off, all of us start out with a one person or maybe a two person company somewhere along the way, we've all been down that road. And you know, the things that that there are so many, I, I'm so impressed and happy with the world of SaaS and business in general. And tech, you mentioned technology feels sexy again. And all this is like, cause there are <clears throat> a lot of people out there that have founded companies similar to what you've done, Darren. And like that are, you're, you're a founder friendly kind of thing, you know, like, Hey, we're here to help you grow. We're here to help you expand. We're here to, to be your partner. Uh, it's one of the things I'm, I'm at carbidesecure.com and looking and you mentioned like tech enabled services. It's not just a platform. It's some people that are, are being thoughtful and there to help you and all that. And I think that that's the important part is having a relationship with vendors. And, you know, this is cybersecurity. Like we mentioned Gusto for accounting, like there's a lot of tools and stuff out there. We are really in a golden age of, of this kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, I remember I you go back about cybersecurity. So I used to um, have a ticketing company. And I remember our, the first time we had to do the, the, um, the, the, the credit card. Well, I can't even remember what it's called now. It's PCI DSS. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and I remember filling out this, looking at this form that had like 280 questions and our point of sale provider, which, you know, we had software from someone else wasn't getting anybody to adopt it. And they eventually like hired someone that walked everyone through this like 280 point checklist. And I just remember going, Oh my God, what does the future hold? Because this is brutal. I mean, asking weird questions like, does your shredder cut cross cut and like all this? How do you take out your trash? I'm like, usually in the mornings in my robe and slippers, maybe or like, you know, so some of that was, you know, it's, it's been very interesting where, where that goes. Now, on my episodes of Startup Hustle, I like to end my shows with what I call the founder's freestyle. I think the number one comment I get from guests after I stop recording is, wow, that went fast. So I, I invented the founder's freestyle. I give my guests and myself a chance to kind of sum up what we talked about today. Maybe there's something you forgot to say. Maybe there's something you like to say. Maybe there's some people you like to thank. I don't know. But Darren, it's time for you to give your closing remarks. What would you like to say to all the all the startup hustlers out there? Yeah, the 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 what I will say, and I've seen this over and over, over and over and over, after having experienced it myself in my last company, 
is think about this stuff early. Now, I'm not saying go out and chuck a bunch of cash at it before you have a product or like hire a CISO before you hire a a salesperson. I'm not saying that at all. Um, What I'm saying is being mindful of it. In other words, figure out and understand what your risks are and understand core best practices in what you're doing. And for an example, if you're building a piece of software, It's a great place to start. So many times I see a software company, they've been writing code for three years. Now they finally have market fit. They're out there. They're starting to hit some sales targets and things are starting to get interesting. But because they had poor software development, coding, testing practices, all this jazz for three years, there's all kinds of technical security debt built up in their their code base, right? So Think about that. Get in the habit of looking at your threats before you, when you design. So if you're designing a new module, design a, pro, a, a product, understand what the repercussions of data privacy and data security are going to be around that. And, and, and it'll help you make decisions in a, in a better way. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, you know, on my, for my freestyle on the way out, I, I mean, I think I just, uh, I like to keep it simple with a lot of this stuff and that's don't lose your business because you weren't paying attention to the direction that it was headed. And, um, you know, unfortunately, um, for our peers in, in the world of startups, that happens somewhere every day. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and then and another thing too, is when you talk about growth, I've been on it. So I remember when, so I'm also the founder, I'm the founder of full scale, full scale.io and gigabook, gigabook.com. If you want to go check it out. But I remember when we were very early gigabook and it was booking, uh, we had an opportunity to make a really large enterprise. So I'm talking like increasing our, our, uh, MRR, AR, all of it by like 90%. It was going to double our revenue. And, uh, they came back and, and essentially looked at us and they're like, wait, there's only five people in your company. Mm-hmm. And like, that was a red flag for them right there for a number of different reasons, because yeah. it was all of a sudden, can you handle what we're about to throw at you? Yeah. And, you know, that's my personal experience with some of that. Now, I, you know, being the CEO and founder of Fullscale, we deal with this all the time because we have... Uh, our our employees show up and our technical so we are a tech enabled services company as well and and provide uh, programming and software development services you know we scale up teams and that means we've got relationships with you know sixty different clients that have you know anywhere from one to twenty five people on their teams and we got it we have to educate downstream what we're doing it's very difficult because. We have our own work culture to maintain, and then on top of that, have to adopt the practices and needs of a whole bunch of others. So um, I will tell you firsthand, if you are just getting started, you are without a doubt going to run into stuff like this, and you want it set up early, and you don't want it to look like you just signed up for it five minutes after you found out that your, your golden goose of a lead is actually interested in using your product because just trust me, it doesn't go over well and it's heartbreaking. So I mentioned that actual, that scenario, I ended up coming in second place there because I stirred up enough interest and need for this company. And they just called me up and they said, look, we couldn't get everyone to agree that a five person company, they had like 1500 stores. Mm. We probably can. And they, by the way, they don't want to hear the excuse of, oh, we'll hire more people if you sign, if you sign on. No, 
no, that's not the way big companies work. They want, they don't want to take a chance. There's this phrase that says no one gets fired for buying IBM. Now it's dated because mm-hmm. I think most of the 22 year old listeners probably don't even know if IBM is a company. But the point is, is people that work at big companies are spending other people's money and they don't want to have to answer later mm-hmm. for signing up with your five person company when things go abysmally wrong for any reason. And so they're going to go spend someone else's money on a more expensive thing often and do whatever. And like, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. And I want all of you out there listening to not have broken hearts. And you too, Darren, you too. I don't want Thanks. your heart to be broken either. Yeah. So with that, and, and, and with that, I think it's time for us to head on out of here, Darren. I'm going to check up with you down the road. Thanks for helping other startup founders and keeping us all secure. Awesome. Thanks for having me on the show. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.